Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so glad to have you guys for episode 28. This one is titled Working Ourselves to Death, literally, the post-pandemic labor shortage and the human situation. That's what we're diving into today. We hope you are going to enjoy it alongside us. Sonia, how are you? I'm super tired. <laughs> I was up really <laughs> early. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I'm watching a dog and the dog came really early. And then also I have allergies with the pollen in Atlanta. Yeah, it's bad here. It's really bad here. It's a, it's a bummer. I think we lost her here, but the... the Oh, there she is. Oh, you, there? you lose me? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I heard you say they're the allergies. Yeah. You're dealing with allergies when you froze. I know. And so, yeah, I said, I'll take it because it's part of living here in, in Georgia and Atlanta. We have the beautiful um, green trees. So it's just part of it, right? Dude, have you heard Atlanta called the city of trees? Have you yeah, heard that? Yeah, I have. That's, I think that's such a cool name. And it really is fitting because yeah. there's trees. We really do live in a beautiful city. We do. I have to tell people who are listening from all over the world, you got to come visit us to um, just like podcasts like ours. Um, and what mm -hmm. we did the other night to let everybody know is for our first time, we were on Clubhouse. Woo! Yay! That was really cool, yeah, huh? That was Wednesday. And um, just to inform the audience that Android users, along with your iPhone users, can get on Clubhouse. So please follow us. There's a lot of interesting convo on Clubhouse. Yeah. Our uh, technical producer, Victor Ho, he is a Clubhouse uh, fanatic, fanatic <laughs> a, an addict, whatever you want to call it. But no, he loves it. And he sees the future potential in it. Um, and I definitely, I haven't spent a lot of time on Clubhouse, but the, the other night we opened a room for the first time, it was Wednesday night, and I can absolutely see how this is the future of social media. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very, it's very interesting and it's amazing who all you can connect with, you know, like it's kind of, it reminds me of how easy it is to connect with people on Twitter. It's the same thing, but just even more intimate. Um, because you're you're having those voice conversations. But anyway, uh, we have a, a clubhouse. Is that right? No, we have a club. <laughs> a club. <laughs> oh, Lord. We have a club. I'm really, I'm really not that old, I promise. <laughs> we have a club on Clubhouse. And um, we open uh, rooms on there and just chat uh, randomly. So just if you are on uh, Clubhouse, find us, the Rethinking Humanity Club, and um, be on the lookout. We'll schedule when we'll have meetings in the room or open the room, whatever, however you call it. And then we'll pick a topic. Our topic uh, Wednesday night was one thing we're going to talk about today, which is yeah. uh, the overworking killing us. And there's an article that has some direct evidence that, that it is. So we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. So, yeah, find us on Clubhouse. Hang out with us on Clubhouse. Follow us on Clubhouse. Whatever you do on Clubhouse, do that. <laughs> do it with us, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Lacey, tell us what the big news for you this week. Well, I did have big news this week. Uh, I signed a contract for a new job, which I'm excited about. And I also got the vaccine, first dose. 
Yay. Mm -hmm. And you got second dose this week too, didn't you? Yep. But we had different reactions. Yeah, we did. Oh man, we keep losing you. So I'm not happy about this. Yeah, something's so weird. Yeah, I keep losing you. I'm so sad. Okay, hopefully it doesn't happen again. We did have different reactions. Uh, what was yours like? It was okay. I was expecting to feel that, and I, I don't really think I could feel anything. I, maybe a little headache, but barely anything compared to what I've heard. But I know you felt kind of tired and stuff, right? Well, I was just like, I'm just going to go do this, get it done. It's been 90 days since I had COVID. I'm just going to do it. It'll be easy. It'll be nothing. You know, it's the first dose, whatever. I had some real fatigue. I, I had a headache, some lower back pain. Um, and man, my arm was, I mean, it was to the point where it interfered with my sleep and I couldn't even lay on my left-hand side. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, that is. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm hoping that that means that the second dose will be easy. <laughs> you feel good today, uh, but right? You're good today? Yeah, I'm much better today. I woke up feeling like a brand person today. I was like, wow, it's a beautiful day outside. And it was a beautiful day outside. But in my world, <laughs> the weather in my head was like, oh, it's a great day. You <laughs> That's know? all that matters. Yeah. Well, while we're uh, talking about COVID, I, I think it's cool for us to like paint a picture for the audience where we're at. Because, you know, we started this podcast in the in the depths of the lockdown, basically. Um, and we've made a lot of progress uh, since then. And so, you know, I think, I don't know these specific numbers, but I could, uh, but I believe we're about 30% of the population in Georgia uh, have been, I, hey, Chris I think, Alexander. I think Georgia, that might be a little high, actually, might be the states. I mean, we could look, I think I might have the numbers, but yeah. To your point, we are, we have, we're coming along. One is like the masks. We're now able to use, yes. go out without side without the masks, which is right. Cool. The CDC just made uh, the determination that, you know, we don't really need to be wearing masks outside because there's less than 1% of transmission that way, which is wonderful. And then mm -hmm. there's not a requirement indoors. Isn't that correct, Sonia? With correct. masks? Okay. So, so things are, you know, as they would be when all these this these things change, really starting to open up and a lot more people are interacting with each other, um, which is, you know, human, I think. Something we yeah. need as human beings, you know? Yeah, I think people are desperate. Like you see a lot of people outside biking and walking and restaurants that have the outdoors tables, yeah. which obviously now they can even, I think the number like of people you could have sit at a table Mm -hmm. was you couldn't have a certain number during COVID. So that's going to increase. Like if you're having a big group, New York City's opening up, which desperately needed to open up because their business is entertainment. Right. Um, so, you know, it's in our country, it's starting to hopefully we're moving towards that. We know other countries are struggling. Right. We need the world to get vaccinated, which mm -hmm. is going to be a process. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we are definitely, you know, shifting back to normal a little bit, but I don't even know if I like the word normal. I think it's probably better to say like things are, there's, there's more human interaction now again. And I think um, something that was uh, in the New York times daily that I wanted to talk about 
today uh, was the is discussion or reports on the labor shortage, um, quote unquote labor shortage. Um, and I'm actually going to have to grab my phone really quick. It's over there. <laughs> yeah, no, go right grab there. it. Yeah, yeah so that, that while you step away, it's a really good article. I, I learned some interesting um, statistics in there. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the startling ones, one of the ones I kind of knew is although the salaries and the profits are going up, um, our uh, you know hourly rates, our wages have not stayed the same with, you know, th- they aren't commensurate. It's like, there's this, here's the salaries going up and the wages are barely going up. Right. The salaries of the CEO and the upper yeah, management. See, uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say uh, to transition to this is that, you know, obviously things are, are changing and shifting and we're going to, we're going back to, to being together in person. But I do think that there's a great silver lining in this. And I, I think we can pull that out of this article. Um, in COVID, I say there's a great silver lining in COVID because I think what's going to come out of it is, uh, specifically in this situation, um, hopefully some changes that can make things better for, for all of us, especially the folks who are not making you know lots and lots of money who are the upper level management in some of these corporations. Um, so the first thing I'll mention from this article that I thought was very interesting to give you an idea of the state status of where we are. Uh, the chief executive of Domino's Pizza has complained that the company can't hire enough drivers. Lyft and Uber claim to have a similar problem. McDonald's franchise in Florida offered $50 to anybody willing to just show up for an interview. Wow. Show up for an interview. Some fast food outlets have hung signs in their windows saying no one wants to work anymore. The idea that the United States suffers from a labor shortage is fast becoming conventional wisdom. But before you accept the idea, it's worth taking a few minutes to think through. Oh, here it is. Oh, look at this. Victor, you're so awesome. Victor's pulling this up. That's awesome. So basically he goes into, um, can you see who the author is, Victor, on this? Scrolling up, up again. Um, I think David, David Leonard. Lenhart. Lenhart. Yeah. Okay. Um, so David Lenhart starts off by saying, "Hey, you know, in a capitalist country, demand uh, is what drives things. Um, and then if the demand goes up for something, then you know other companies can keep making that item and also make money on it." And he's saying human labor, it's not exactly the same thing as a as one of those items that you would make, but the idea is similar. In a market economy, both labor and the things are products with fluctuating prices. And so he's saying that these companies are struggling to find enough labor, but the reality is that they can solve the problem by offering to pay a higher price for the labor. Uh, also known as higher wager- wages. More workers will then enter the labor market and suddenly the labor shortage will be no more. So the reality, the myth here is that there's not a labor shortage. Right. It's that people have gone, <laughs> the COVID has made people go, life's too effing short, man. I'm not going to work for like $8 an hour, your little whatever rinky-dink and, not, and struggle to live, basically. Yeah, I, I think at the end of that article, you said at the end of the article, at what? the end of the article, it's basically saying that these employers have gotten used to paying low wages. Like that's the yes. norm. Right. Yeah, it, it's true. And 
I mean, and you've mentioned this before we started, uh, got really into this, but the wages have not gone up for years. Like it's been years and years and years that uh, wages have gone up, um, but yet the corporate salaries have increased. And so basically this is really putting a lot of pressure on corporations to look at how they value their employees um, and how they, how much they're willing to put their money where their mouth is on that and, and show it. And COVID has put people in a position of power in this again, which I think is really cool and really beautiful. It's like poetic justice, you know? Right. And one thing they're going to be examining, we have to be careful is also with the un unemployment and, you know, the, um, the dividends we are getting through the government, there's going to be some arguments. Oh, we were getting money. So therefore people didn't want to work, which mm -hmm. is a false argument because as we know, like in California, it was in Stockton. They were, they gave people, they're giving them a monthly amount and they're still working. So right. we need to, that argument comes up that, that argument like push against it. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that they're there. I mean, the difference between like a basic income and these, this unemployment money that people have gotten is mm -hmm. that obviously basic income is not conditional on whether you're working or not. Right. Yeah. And studies have continually shown that people who have basic income are not less likely to work. They're more likely to work now with unemployment. That's a totally different story because the condition is you can't be working. Right. 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 So of course there are probably people who have temporarily dropped out of labor force because of COVID and the unemployment checks. Um, but the reality of the situation is you and I both know this Sonia from our, you know, history, our life history, life experience. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen overnight that you are able to find a job just like that. That's a good fit for you. I mean, there's millions of people who have been displaced from, careers, jobs, and only some of those are starting to come back. I mean, many are coming back, but it's, you know, not in the same volume, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of people that are facing career changes. Mm -hmm. um, and so my point is, is that it's, it's not a good time to just be like, oh, well, nobody's getting a job now because they're on unemployment. Let's just pull <laughs> unemployment. No, that is, that's not a decision you make about your own personal company. You know, like you wouldn't just yank money off of a department. You would wean money right, out of right, a certain right. department of your job, of your corporation or your company. So I don't think that that's wise for us to do that. Um, I think we need, all of us need the space to find our, our next step. Um, but I, I definitely don't think that um, there, I don't think there's not a place for corporations to, find labor. The place for them to find labor is increasing their pay, um, which arguably is something they could have done a long time ago, cut down on their additional, you know, two or three yachts <laughs> and just, you know, put that into, you know, like the lives of regular normal people. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm oversimplifying here and that's not fair. But you see, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, and to your point, I think with the pandemic, people have reevaluated reevaluated their lives. A lot of women haven't gone back in the workforce because of childcare. They've yeah. realized, you know, what are they going to do with their children? And they've had to be there at home. They've had to actually come out of the workforce. So culturally, it's going to make us look at what is important. Do we pay people what they 
deserve? Do we create structures that enable people to work? There's a lot of um, things that we're questioning and the pandemic has brought that kind of, it's sort yeah. of pulled back the curtain and shown us the flaws in our system. Right. I would say. 100%, which I'm thankful for. The last thing I'll read from this um, is that he says corporate profits, on the other hand, have been rising rapidly um, and now make up a larger share of GDP than in previous decades. As a result, most companies can afford to respond to a growing economy by raising wages and continuing to make profits. Sure enough, some companies have responded to the alleged labor shortage by doing exactly that. Bank of America announced on Tuesday mm -hmm. that it would raise its minimum hourly wage to $25. So that's pretty cool. Also, companies um, like Amazon, Chipotle, Costco, McDonald's, Walmart, um, Morgan Chase. So so anyways, uh, there's room for improvement and we're starting to see it. Uh, so that's wonderful news. I'm happy to hear that. Yes, we're going to keep an eye on that. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that you know, keeps going up. I, I definitely know that it's really hard for some small businesses to raise the minimum wage, but these big corporations, it's they not can that do hard. It. They no, can do they, it. They can totally do it. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, that is the post pandemic labor shortage. The next question is, are we working ourselves to death? Literally, are we? Yes, yeah. we are. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have found some information. Yeah, Lacey, you um, <sighs> found this great article, BBC, that discusses that, that discusses the crazy hours and how they tie uh, health-related illnesses, death, with these um, insane hours. I mean, not even insane. Some of it is just like even 60 hours, which just kind of blows my mind because I think we're all used to in our old, at least I was used to, wow, you're supposed to work all these hours to get ahead. Right. Here it is. This is uh, from the BBC. Uh, long hours killing 745,000 people a year, study finds. Um, I, yeah, I mean, and this picture is perfect of this girl. She's sitting yeah. in front of her computer with her head in her hands. It's like, man, I mean, we are, I don't know, I think you guys could probably tell that by listening to the, to the show, like we're definitely advocates of a work-life balance. And we've said it over and over again, that a basic income would empower, would help that. But we're also believers in self-actualization and working all the effing time does not leave you any room to be able to do that. So this is why this is so something I'm so passionate about. Well, the one line, I mean, I was re I read through the whole article and the different stories, but I love, I was working 72 hours a week. It was cult-like. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it, that really gets to me. That's a related article. I haven't read it. Did you read it? Yeah, I did. Um, it was just this, uh, the woman, she gets into this job and it's nonstop. She said, even when the job's over, she's getting texts. She's having to like talk about what she did that day. There's really the boundaries between work and personal life were just, you know, getting blurred. And I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, sorry, finish, I finished. No, I just think also the story about the, the gentleman who had this, uh, 45 years old, how he had that wake up call with the heart, you know, he called his wife in. Oh, he yep. was on Zoom all day, yeah, it says yeah. this year, of course. I mean, it's just crazy because I think we, meaning society, we consider this being the norm and we're finding out the norm just is killing us. 
<laughs> Nor might not be sane, guys. Just FYI. Yeah, that was a, a 45-year-old man named Jonathan Frostnick. Uh, he posted on LinkedIn, uh, publicly describing how he had a wake-up call um, over these long working hours. Um, what happened was he was a regulatory program manager working for HSBC. He had just sit down, sat down on a Sunday afternoon to prepare for the work week, and he felt a tightness in his chest, throbbing in his throat, jawline and arm, and difficulty breathing. He got to the bedroom and lied down, told his wife, phoned the you know emergency health workers, um, and he, you know, while recovering from this heart attack, he realized like I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to spend all day on Zoom. I don't know quite what his hours were. But this article talks about this um, disproportionately affecting men, um, mm-hmm. which I think is quite interesting in light of some of the conversations we've had about the patriarchy. Um, and I think you can draw some lines between that. But also that it says that the research found that working 55 hours or more, 55 hours or more. Yeah. Which I think you would probably say most people in the U.S., work 55 hours or more, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. That's why I said the number, it surprised me because it wasn't this huge, you know, high number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad. Um, They had 55 hours or more was uh, associated with 35% higher risk of stroke and 17% higher risk of heart disease. Um, And that's just compared to working a week of 35 to 40. I mean, imagine what, it would be if it was like, if we had 30 hours period, um, that would be super different. Uh, And then this is, this is also really interesting. um, Sonia, often the deaths occurred much later in life, sometimes decades later than the long hours were worked. Hmm, I wonder what that's about. What is, what do you think whenever you hear that? Anything? Um, I, I think I, the other night, I think we were talking about it. I was thinking how you're, you're accustomed, like I was saying before, it's the norm. And so it's, yeah. it, to me, it's like a cumulative thing mm-hmm. that over time. But um, what I wanted to ask you also from a cultural perspective is, mm-hmm. A, why do you think people do it? Mm-hmm. B, if a person has enough money, because we could say they're doing it for money, why would they do it? And see how do we get our culture to change? <laughs> mm. The first one was, why do people do it, you asked? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, like I have friends that are doing this type of hours and hours of work. And I honestly think that they either, okay, two things. They just don't really know that they can do something different with their life, excuse me, okay. or they're not empowered to be like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay. And the other part of that could be that they're just super used to the money, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously the way it works in our society, the more money you have, the more hours you work typically, especially right. for these like specialized careers, the, you know, and the more stress you have, the more money you make. Um, now for the folks like the second co- category, you said the folks that have a lot of money already and they continue to just do mm-hmm. this. I don't know. And and it's funny because I know me and you know me. I'm like, the job I just signed for is like no more than 30 hours a week. The the average of is 30 hours a week. 
And I'm intentional about that because you know why? I like my time. I, I want to learn other things. I want to go dancing. I want to play soccer. I want to go to the kickboxing. You know, like there are, I want to learn improv. Like there's other things in life. And I realize that. Right. And I think that like, and when I tell people that they're like, wow, like that's, wow, you're like a very courageous person. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like listening to myself, you know? Well, I was, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I no. was going to suggest, I think one of the reasons people do it is it's like a, a badge of um, like, look at me. I work, you know, 80 hours a week. And then depending on the industry they're in, they're mm -hmm. sort of showing off in a way because our culture's like work, work, work. So they can say, yeah, we're 70 hours this week. And, you know, and yeah. so I do think some of them aren't even aware of what they're doing, like you said. And then the yes. other point that you made, super cool, is um, they don't know how to get out of it, right? They're not yeah. aware. They don't know there's choices. Um, there's fear to mm -hmm. change their life, you know. And yeah. um, so going back to the culture, I asked you the question on the culture. I think, and you can tell me what you think. I think we will need like, like the basic income or some way to survive, to be able to live differently and yeah. not work those crazy hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I do think something like that is important. I think, you know, COVID and even just the story we talked about before this, um, the wages going up. I mean, if you talk about McDonald's paying people $25 an hour, do you think that's not going to affect other jobs pay rates? I do. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I think that's a good thing. Uh, I do think that we're going to see some changes because of, um, you know, all this that's happened with COVID and how things have changed. Um, but, you know, culturally, that's what what it really all boils down to. And Frome would say this. It's culturally acceptable. It's culturally mm -hmm. like the thing to do is right. like this is what you do. You grow up, you get, you go to school, you graduate from high school, you go to college, you meet somebody that you want to marry, you graduate from college, you get married, you have kids, you get into a bunch of debt, you buy a house. You, know? you see what I'm saying? And it sounds so like so much fun, Lisa. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So, so my point is uh, nothing wrong with doing that if that's what you really want to do. But it's just like that minimalism documentary where the ladies in there, like this is something else we wanted to talk about today. I don't know if we'll get too much into it. Right. But, but the lady realizes like because of the conditioning of advertising and mm -hmm. you know how materialistic our society is, she's like, I didn't actually really want to go buy all this stuff. I just <laughs> did it because I've been made to want. A Same thing. We've kind of been made to want or to think that we should do these right, things, right. you know, like you should follow that 14 point step, go to college, get married, have a kid, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, go get, move up the corporate ladder. And the reality is, is like, we are all going to be so much happier if we learn who we are, if we mm -hmm. take time to know who we are, what we like, what we're good at, what we don't like. I mean, if you don't like getting up in the morning, that is not a sin, guys. It's okay. No. Did you know that there are jobs out there that don't start <laughs> at 8 a.m. in the morning? I mean, right. my job that I just signed a contract on is so good because I'm not a morning person and it starts at noon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I'm being silly here, but I'm also. No, no, no. You're right. It's the whole yeah. circadian rhythm. Like we actually, there, there's people who do better with a work, with a different schedule, like you're saying. Um, yes. And a perfect great. example is sleep is just 
depriving. We're, we're a sleep deprived society. One in three people, by the way, are sleep deprived. And it, mm. it fits into your conversation about being overworked. So there you're really risking your health. So yeah. guess what? You might get up in the corporate ladder and then you could be dead. So there, you know, and, and that's it. What it says, when is it? It's 10, 20 years later because, right. and this goes back to trauma too, <laughs> because the body keeps the score. That's a book about trauma. The body keeps the score. So we can push ourselves through these things, but we can't get away from the consequences of that. And so I think that's the no. perfect example. You no. can force yourself to go on two hours of sleep and drink Red Bulls and crush it and, you know, hate your life, but just do it anyway, because you're supposed to, and that's what you're supposed to do. But one day it's going to catch up to you in some yes. shape, way, shape or form. And and right. I don't mean that in a, like a creepy mean way. I'm just saying health is an actual real thing. Yes. You know, treating your body a certain way will will you know result in a certain response at some point sure and it, it all ties into like mental health physical health and then not being able to do the things like you're saying Lacey. you want to do you want to go learn to play the guitar yes. you want to go exercise right and you can't freaking do it if you're working you know crazy hours yeah and and i think that there's so many people who've been conditioned to work like this for so long they don't even know they don't they know the alternative know Right. And they don't even know that they could actually want to do something like they're like, well, I just I'd rather work. Well, guess what? I think you just haven't had the experience of doing something other than working. And so it's hard for you to even know what that's like. That's you know, true. that's true. Yeah, it's so sad. It's so sad. I mean, you know, connecting it to trauma. I've said this. This is going to be controversial. I wonder what you think, Sonia, because I don't know that I've said it to you before. Maybe I have. But in the way, in the context of what we're talking about right now, you can see that society can be traumatic. Society is trauma. <laughs> society like, is insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go. There you go. I mean, we're constantly forcing ourselves to do shit that we really don't want to do, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so we are society. So it's going to be the we meaning mm -hmm. individuals collectively who, who start to shift this, right? Yes. Yes. That's what we need. And that's what we want, which I guess is a really good transition to from, right? Yep. Um, we have some, just a little bit of content with from today because we wanted to talk about these two very timely uh, articles um, and the, the next sections, I mean, everything y'all know, I love from, we, we love from <laughs> the next section after this is he, he goes into the needs and passions stemming from the existence of man. And the first one is relatedness versus narcissism. And, oh my God, that'll be, that'll be next episode. And I'm right, so, right. um, so, but this net, the section we're going to talk about today is basically him kind of talking a little bit more about the conditions of, of uh, men's existence, the conditions of human existence. Um, and I think this is interesting, Sonia, I wonder what your thoughts are on this as you read mm -hmm. it. He says, man's life is determined by the inescapable alternative between regression and progression. And by that, I think what he means in context of this, uh, this chapter, it's like between the return to that animal mm -hmm. um, existence where we were in unity with 
with nature and it, you know, it was, things were easy. Right. And then right. the, the other, uh, you know, progression is the arrival at human existence. So the return would be like, you know, fighting against this inherent nature that we have to want to know why we're here and what we're here for and, and get these needs met that are beyond just the animal instinctual needs that we have that not other animals don't have, uh, which she's going to talk a little bit more about. So yeah. What are your thoughts on that? initially? Um, when I first read it, well, it's pretty kind of existential because I think of like the animal, like the um, evolution of an animal. And so man in his evolution, one of the things that man has that the animal doesn't have that from talked about in previous chapter is the ability to reason. And so right. I think what Fromm is getting at that the most powerful forces that motivate man's behavior stem mm -hmm. from the condition of his existence, the human situation. Right. It's that he's constantly trying to solve his human problem. Mm. Because when I look at it, an animal, you know, operates instinctually. They need food. They go for food. You know, they um, need to sleep. They automatically sleep. There's not like a reasoning. There's an in instinct where yeah. you have. What what the challenges of being human is is figuring out like what you said earlier like what do I need beyond that like what are these are the needs that from will eventually get into but it's it's kind of like this conflict between that that animal nature then progressing to the that's how I read it then progressing to the, yeah. to the human nature because he's driven by those needs once you satisfy your basic mm. okay I, I have my food I have this even I have sex I have that then. The big question is, okay, what am I doing? You know, right? And I think this is a powerful question. Yeah, it is. And and he and Fromm says that question is the question that drives us as humans. That question is the question that leads us to insanity mm -hmm. or, or sanity. That question um, is the question that brings us to a place of well-being. He says that. The, even the most complete satisfaction of all of our instinctive needs does not solve the human problem. It's his most intensive passions and needs are not those rooted in the body. He's talking about he as in mm -hmm. man, as in men and women, humans, but those rooted in the very peculiarity of his existence. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that he talks about the mentally healthy and the neurotic are driven by the need to find the answer. Yes. Um, and I think it is that the answer, the answer of, of his existence. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what he goes into, which makes sense of where, how we need religion. He brings up also religion is one of, it's an attempt to answer the problem. And he doesn't talk about religion in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a belief system. It's a way that you have an answer to why you are existing or what we're doing. What does our right. existence mean? Right. That the the needs outside of our uh, our instinct. You know the mm -hmm. answer to those. And we look to religion. We look to um, how else would you call it? Um, well, uh, you look to the cult, like in the culture, every every kind of, I guess, system that's set up, he sort of defines under that definition. Because mm -hmm. he says, in this sense, all cultures are religious, mm -hmm. and every neurosis is a private form of religion, provided right. we mean by religion an attempt to answer the problem 
of human existence. And, and, and again, the problem of human existence is finding like an equilibrium uh, mm-hmm. for the new harmony instead of like the lost animal harmony with nature that we don't have anymore because we're aware of our own reasoning, our own capacities that go beyond being just uh, an instinctual animal. Um, after we satisfy those instinctual animal needs, then we are driven by our human needs. And what he mentions here that I think is so interesting um, is that those human needs um, are general. They're the same for all humans, um, but they're also, um, to the extent extent that they're met, has a lot to do with the culture Mm -hmm. um, that that the people are uh, brought up in or you know, that they, the people are in. Um, so I think that's very, very interesting. Um, this is really good too. All passions and strivings of men are attempts to find an answer to his existence. All right. Or we may also say they are an attempt to avoid insanity. He's, He's saying this is how we avoid insanity by filling the needs of our human existence, basically. If we aren't able to meet our own human needs, not our animal needs, but our Mm -hmm. human needs, then we bleed over into insanity. Right, and this is what makes Throne powerful because I know we won't get into it today, but he is going to talk about what are the needs and passions that stem from the existence of man, Mm -hmm. which is something, yeah, now everyone, no matter what circumstance you're in, I'm sure that thought has passed through your mind or you've questioned that, like, what am I doing? And I think this is what speaks to why it's so powerful, like religions and movements and cults, because it gives individuals, hey, okay, I don't have to figure this out because we got this person telling me or we've got this statue telling me or this ideology telling me. So it limits that self-actualization that you're talking about. Like Mm -hmm. you have to look within yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I was and watching a, a really not to the external to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I talked over you there. I think we had a little bump in That's the right. uh, Wi-Fi. Um, last night, quick, I was watching um, Young Pueblo did a live on Instagram with the Mental Health Foundation. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Mm-hmm. And, and another guy. And it was three men. Um three uh, minority men talking about mental health. It was so good. Um, oh, wow. It was really good. Anyway, and the connection point to that, uh, not only does it like destroying the BS of the patriarchy that they're having these conversations, which I love, but also one of the points that Diego made, who is young Pueblo, uh, was that, you know, we all have a, our own individual path to, if you want to call it enlightenment, he didn't use that word, but I'm just saying it, you know, growth, self-awareness. And sometimes it's therapy, sometimes it's meditation, whatever. And it's really hard. Sometimes medication helps in that process. Mm-hmm. It's really hard um, for us to go that route as a society to tell people because we are just so used to telling people, this is the answer, this is how you figure it out. And so that was a point he was making that I thought was really good which connects to what you were saying about, you know, it being an individual thing. It's an individual process. 
Yeah, and to your point, Lacey, it's a great point, is it's an individual journey. And so each of us is on a different journey. So just making it be about one thing or one path is very limiting and doesn't allow for like the nuances of life and the, you know, the, the fact that you're going to take different roads yep. and you're still on that path, but it may not be the same as your neighbors or your sisters or your friends. And we, we have to accept that. Right. We're all at different stages of growth, you know? And so it's easy to get frustrated by the guy who cuts you off in traffic mm -hmm. or who cheats you out of, $300, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but those folks are all on a journey as well. And it, again, it's easy to judge, but I say this, I hate, I don't have time to judge people because it only puts me in a bad mood. <laughs> I mean, they're doing the best they can. They're on their journey. And um, that's what we're all here doing. And so I, I hope that we can all encourage each other on our journeys um, instead of like letting it bother us because I'm sure, I mean, that's very easy to do. Uh, before we go, though, it's <laughs> like I got on a tangent there. I want to read this last part. Uh, as yeah, read it. Yes, this is really good. Um, From says, all men are idealists and cannot help being idealists, provided by idealism, provided we mean by idealism, the striving for satisfaction of the needs which are specifically human and transcend the physiological physiological needs of the organism. All men are idealists and cannot help being idealists. Provided we mean by idealism, the striving for the satisfaction of needs that needs that are specifically human. It's the bottom of page 29. Got it. And transcend the physiological needs of the organism. He's saying we're striving for our needs that are specifically human that go beyond the physiological needs, beyond sex, hunger, Mm -hmm. sleep. And uh, those are the things that really determine whether we come out on the other side, sane or insane. Yeah, that's, that's a powerful uh, sentence. I like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is, let me see if there's anything else. The difference is only that one idealism is a good and adequate solution. The other, a destructive one, the decision as to what is destructive and what is adequate um, has to be made on the basis of our knowledge of man's nature and the laws which govern its growth. I really like that. Mm -hmm. The laws which govern the growth of man and man's nature. And so what are these needs and passions stemming from the existence of man? That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. 29, episode 29, people. Um, I'm going I'm to add to what you said earlier, Lacey. I, I don't think it was a tangent. I think it was really good. You and I were talking before the podcast about, you know, how upset you can get or you should or shouldn't get upset, say you're in traffic or you're late. And at the end of the day, mm -hmm. allowing ourselves just to live and realizing that, you know, life isn't going to be a straight air. There are going to be things that the bumps in the road. And I think the, the attitude of acceptance is huge to your point yes. about, you know, not judging. And I always think about, I, I, I'm not saying I always practice this, but if I get angry, I'm like, okay, I'm getting angry. I'm angry right now in traffic, but that person's just going to go on with their life. They're probably going to go have a beer, have a good time and not even think about me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, so um, I love that you brought that up. I think that's a great point. Thank you. I, I think the acceptance thing is huge and can really 
empower us. Radical acceptance can really empower us to live a more peaceful life. You know, I mean, it's not really about whether things go perfect. It's because we know they're not going to. It's about mm -hmm. whether we can accept how things are in the moment um, and know that and trust that things will work out for our good. And every time I've like set my intention to believe, OK, this is not what was planned. This is not what I was hoping would happen. But I believe that something good is going to come out of this. I always see it, you know. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So it's good. Guys, uh, just a reminder, as we close, we are all of our episodes in season two are now available on YouTube to watch. Um, we're on Instagram at Rethinking Humanity. We do have a new logo and color scheme change coming up. Yay! We're so excited. And a big announcement alongside of that. So stay tuned. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're so happy that we have had you with us today. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Hope good. everybody has a good weekend, uh, wherever yes. you are. Yes, it's Friday. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Bye. Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye. Bye.